Welcome to Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the show where we watch and review and discuss every horror movie on Netflix. I'm Chris. I am back, and I'm here with Patrick. Hello. And I'm here with Steven. Hi. And back again this week is our very special guest, Christine. How are you doing, Christine? Hello. I'm, I'm doing great. How about you guys? Uh, can't can't complain. I've I've uh, almost <laughs> recovered from my various surgeries, and um, uh, I'm I've, I'm ready to get back to watching horror movies. Um, so in a whole new light, right? Yeah. <laughs> so this is a very special episode. Uh, well, kind of special. Uh, we are reviewing the new Fear Street trilogy, the Netflix exclusive trio of movies, loosely inspired by the R.L. Stein novels. Uh, which I have not read. Maybe we'll talk about that later. But before we get into that, as always, we're going to go around and just see, uh, you know, what else have people been doing? Because uh, believe it or not, sometimes we consume horror media outside of the show. So um, has anyone uh, seen anything, read anything spooky lately? Um, not horror related, but another nostalgia trip I've been on, similar to the Fear Street journey, is the new He-Man show on Netflix. It's pretty fun. It's pretty dark. Um, a lot of unexpected deaths, including Mossman, famous character from He-Man, if you know anything about it, getting getting burned alive. Burned alive in the first episode. Um, enjoying that so far. Patrick, have you seen anything lately? Anything spooky? I haven't really been watching anything. I mean, partly because I had to watch three Fear Street movies since our last episode. Yeah. <laughs> but I have been reading uh, Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado, which is a series of eight short stories that are all pretty firmly couched in, in horror. I mean, I don't know that she would necessarily identify as a horror writer, but pretty much every story in here is a horror story. They're all very feminist, very queer, very darkly funny, and very moving. There's uh, the, the most impactful story in here that I've read so far is uh, called Eight Bites, and it, it's about a woman who has bariatric surgery and is then sort of haunted by the presence of what was removed from her body during that mm. surgery. And that almost sounds you know sort of silly or a bit over the top but it's very uh, again very moving it just really left a mark on me so highly recommend her body and other parties speaking of surgery i've been living body horror experience uh in addition to my (laughs) my eye surgery i had two teeth extracted since i was on the show last and they're giving me what's called a bone graft where basically they they took out teeth and they took out part of the bone that was you know anchored to the teeth and they have packed my mouth with bone graft material quote unquote which is actually like ground up bones of a cadaver person and a <laughs> cadaver person and they packed it in there so and, and, and I, now i'm at the stage where i'm kind of healing and some of the packing material is kind of coming out and, and every now and then i get a granule of bone in my mouth oh, and like, i just have no. to like chew it for no. a bit and sometimes i swallow it sometimes uh, i spit it out so I'm, I'm, I'm technically a cannibal right now wait why are so you swallowing it? it? Why out. are you chewing yeah, that's it? What I'm because my body needs bone material, so why not just... I, it's in my mouth. What am I going to do? Just no. talk a loogie? It's just hey, a little... It's in my yes. mouth already. Are you <laughs> yes. insane? 
really I'm, what? what? I, I just want to be a cannibal, all right? I just want to eat the bone. This is horrifying. You can drink milk or you can eat your own bones. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so, two ways to go about this. So I'm going to have a haunted tooth uh, when this is all done. Um, and I can't wait. So, oh, dear God. That's what I've been up to. Um, Fuck. So that's Chris, the that's that's the greatest horror that I've heard in the past two weeks. <laughs> um, so, Christine, I, I don't know if you have anything uh, other uh, anything else horror related to uh, talk about. Uh, if you do, please share. But we, uh, we I know we did talk about the Fear Street books and you and your you know your literary background, your library background. Um, um, there, we thought for a minute we might actually try to read the Fear Street books. Yeah. I didn't. I don't know if you did. I said, "Fuck that." Oh. And you know what? I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a real honest and say that I binged the last three movies I mean the three movies for the show in the last like 12 hours oh, oh wow so they're very fresh so they're very okay. fresh all right wow. yeah I'm not good at adulting so uh <laughs> shortly after I told you that yeah I'll probably try to read those I was like no I'm not <laughs> you know what yeah, so I, I was gonna I was gonna read one I was just gonna buy it on Amazon and it was kind of pricey for a, for, a, for a book that you could presumably read as an adult in like 90 minutes or something yeah like it just didn't seem worth it I, I have enough of an idea just from growing up around slightly older kids who did read them. Um, well, it's, I think I get the gist. It's fine. From what I understand, this this movie has very little in common with the book series. Um, there are some, you know, homages to it. But um, I never read the Fear Street books, but I was a huge fan of the Goosebumps books. You Me know? too. I, so oh, yeah. I, I, I had like 50 Goosebumps books, and I was aware of Fear Street. You would see it on the shelf at your B. Dalton or what have you. And I was always <laughs> like, I, was, I don't know why I never checked out Fear Street. I guess I was just like, oh, those are for teenagers. <laughs> or something i'm sure they're very tame i think even as a teenager i wasn't even interested in those i think i would have preferred to just read the goosebumps again there's something silly and creepy about the goosebumps stories that fear street just seemed too grown up or too like serious mm-hmm. or stein i guess i don't or know Or it's like the cover of fear street shows you like you know a babysitter talking on the phone and the cover <laughs> of goosebumps shows you like a bee with a human head yeah, <laughs> so much cooler. <laughs> Way cooler. Well, I, I so something I didn't know. I always assumed that Fear Street was later in Arl Stein's career. I didn't realize that he started with the teenage horror and then oh. aged down, hmm. and then Goosebumps came that after that. I, hmm. Yeah, me either. I've heard. Oh, so like I've heard, Fear Street came first as a series. Yeah, in like the late eighties, early nineties, uh, and uh. then Goosebumps. I do kind of want to read Christopher Pike though. I've heard that his stuff is pretty nasty, like as far as like teen teen horror goes. Like he's he's more claws out. Is that an R.L. Stein like alter ego? No, it's a different writer. Oh, but he okay. was he he wrote in like kind of the same vein, maybe mm. a little bit later. Um, mm. You gotta read uh, Jonathan Rand. I was just about to say R.L. <laughs> Stein and Christopher Pike tired. Jonathan Rand wired. <laughs> Who the fuck is Jonathan Rand? He wrote the Michigan Schillers series. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. And then American Schillers. I think I he think, diversified to America, but yeah, he's a he's a hometown uh, boy, um, Michigan author whose whose yeah. main run of books dealt with. It was like Goosebumps books set in Michigan cities, but I, I assume you've read some of those, Christine. I've never read them, but they are very popular, especially in this area. And mm-hmm. every, with the exception of the pandemic last year, um, he always comes to my kid's school and he'll do mm. a tour to all the classrooms. The kids fucking love him. And then they can buy books for cheap there, too. So, like, he's 
kids love him. Is he a good performer? Like, does he have like a persona or something that he puts on for the children? Or I don't. Like, why do they I love him so much? I don't know. I imagine he probably does, but um, I think that there's a certain personality that that people who write juvenile books have to have, mm. um, especially if you're writing in, in genre in juvenile. So um, I imagine he has some kind of shtick that he has, but um, like my oldest will come home after he's had a visit with the, their class and he's just super excited. So I'm like, hmm, he must be good. Oh my God, I wish I had that influence growing up. He's like a hometown, like Elvira sort of figure. Almost, <laughs> sounds like. <laughs> like Elvira. I should. Yeah, I, I did not read much horror. I didn't read Goosebumps. I didn't read Fear Street when I was a kid. I, I guess it took me until later in life to develop the mental derangement that, uh, you know, drove <laughs> me to seek out this genre. But I did read some Michigan chillers. I do remember reading and enjoying those. Never met Jonathan Rand, though. Are those. Patrick, that was very inappropriate of you to to talk about the horror genre in such a derisive way. I think we need to vote you off the cast. Oh, yeah. I, 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 offic- I, I issue an official apology to the capital H horror, capital C community. <laughs> I should read some of those Michigan Chillers books. To my the, the one, I have like skimmed through a couple, and I was disappointed, and maybe if I read more of the books, my opinion would change, but it seems like often the, the you know, they're, they're the events supposedly take place in the city, but there's not really, they don't really take place in the city. It's all kind of interchangeable. Like I, I picked up like dinosaurs in Detroit or something, and there was nothing really recognizably Detroit in the whole book, except it was like Matthew put on his Detroit Lions jersey. <laughs> you know? Oh my God. Yeah. We, ta- we talked about this, how like they just feel like a mail merge yeah. or like a, <laughs> um, yeah. What the fuck is the, the word game that kids, Madlibs, Madlibs, Madlibs. Yeah, you yeah. just like fill in the blank. Like, I want to see pterodactyls flying around the Renaissance Center. If you tell me it's dinosaurs <laughs> in Detroit, I want to see recognizable landmarks with Tyrannosaurus Rex chewing on it. You want to? I see... want the RoboCop statue to come to life and <laughs> take out some crackheads. You want to see Velociraptors going to Greek Town Casino and putting it all on black? <laughs> yes. Oh, amazing. <laughs> All right. All right, but to like to be fair, hold on. To be fair, do kids know what the Renaissance Building is? <laughs> no, but no. I just, how could you not? How can you not do that if you're an author? I, because I, he's a, he's a kid's author. That's kids. why. If I'm writing like Terror in Traverse City, I'm taking my laptop. I'm going to Traverse City, and I'm like looking at everyone. Like, oh, I'm like the ghost is gonna come out of there. I'm blocking the whole thing in the middle of the street. A butler, even a butler. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I would absolutely. The butler, you would see that at the Traverse City, the State Hospital, or whatever that's called up there. There's yeah. definitely a butler in there, maybe a couple. Christopher Slatt's the butler. Yeah. Great film. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we digress. Let's let's talk about Fear Street, the movie. Um, so this is a trilogy. It's by a director named Lee Janiak. Janiak. That didn't sound forced at all. <laughs> We, we spent way too much time down. figuring out how to pronounce this before the, the cast. Yeah, we had a big conversation. And we decided it was Janiac rhymes with maniac. Um, so yeah, it's a trilogy by by this, and and, and it's a, a female director, which I did not know at first. I assumed maybe it was like Lee Winnell, but no, it's it's Lee is also a woman's name. Uh, but kind of an interesting concept, you know. We got three movies that are 
it's it's billed as a trilogy event and the format of this is is very interesting to me because they're not quite standalone movies chris it, you lost your mind when you when you learned about the format of this trilogy yes oh oh i did publicly lose my mind. on yeah. twitter <laughs> i publicly lost my mind because i'm like okay so th- i knew nothing about this and then they're like coming this friday Fear Street, part one, 1994. So I'm like, oh, all right, they're doing like an it thing where we're going to start in 1994 and then we're going to come to present day. Fuck no. Fuck no. no. Fuck no. (laughs) Part two takes place in 1978. And part three, get this, takes place in 1666. And so I was pretty much sold um, from that point because I was like, "That's not that's not something you do if you're phoning it in." Like, there's a vision here, and it might not be a vision I like, but but they are doing <laughs> something special here. Well, I so Patrick, I think you listened to the the post mortem interview with mm-hmm. Lee as well. Um, all she had to say about 1666 is the year is so good. How could we not do that? And I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I am on board with that vision. 100%. <laughs> they could have gone to 2,666. Oh, oh well, Maybe there, there be will the be more, one. there will be more fear street yeah. movies. And I would say like, I could see this following like the fast and furious franchise sort of template and just getting more and more insane with each iteration. And we'll get there eventually. Yeah, yeah. They, I think uh, Lee has said that she would like to make the like the Marvel Cinematic Universe of horror. Um, it's already been done. It's it's called the Conjuring Universe. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me. I want to point something out before we get any further. So I I thought this was pretty interesting. These movies. This comes up on the show occasionally with Netflix originals. These movies were purchased by Netflix. They were made beforehand, or like at least greenlit beforehand, and they were intended to be theatrically theatrically released. And I just don't see how that could ever have worked, especially with the to be continued after each segment. Like, it, I. I I cannot imagine like paying money to see one of these movies and having to wait more than a week for the follow-up yeah they're they really- so closely yeah. linked to each other like yeah. it's very well suited to the format of watching a movie a week on netflix mm-hmm. what if they'd been released a week apart in theaters <laughs> I mean, I'd be down for somebody trying that. That sounds messy as hell, but... (laughs) Yeah. Even with the recap, I think that would still be pretty messy. That was kind of my big complaint with the format, though, I guess, because I... Watching this, I was like, this would be so fun to watch in a theater, but it just feels like it's the, the, the second two movies, especially are not standalone enough. Like they, it feels like kind of a glorified Netflix TV show. Yeah, and I feel like, I mean, I think these are really well-directed, just to throw that out, but I also feel like it's very televisual in construction. Like, these didn't feel like movies I could imagine seeing on a big screen, as well-made as I think they were. Mm. Um, they, they did seem particularly suited to streaming. I disagree, but... Okay, well, you're allowed to that's, do that's it out. fine. <laughs> Well, tell us what the damn movie's about, Chris. All right, so we start in the year 1994, and kind of the whole trilogy opens with a murder in a shopping mall, and turns out it's not the first random murder that this town called Shadyside has experienced over the last several decades, and our story focuses on our heroes Dina and her brother Josh, Um, and Josh is kind of a, a, a nerdy kid who's kind of, for some reason, hangs out in chat rooms where they discuss the history of 
local murder um full time so like um, in character too yeah as if they're like <laughs> playing yeah, D or something <laughs> yes um so you know this is very much there's an urban legend in this town about a witch and people being claimed by the witch and the curse that the witch has put on this town um uh, you know you might infer based on the titles in the trilogy and the opening titles that this witch was on the scene in 1666 <laughs> and maybe we'll learn some more about her <laughs> as it goes on but basically all the kids in town think there's a curse that a witch has put on the town there's a rivalry between the town of shadyside and its neighboring town sunnyvale where sunnyvale is kind of uh, uh affluent and everyone there is doing great and and looks good and in shadyside everyone is destitute and feels like they have no future um and basically, in the course of investigating this murder, and also significantly, uh, our character Dina is trying to reconcile her breakup with another girl named Sam. Um, they basically end up in the middle of this whole mystery of the witch. They find themselves chased by various killers that have been uh, the witch's uh, uh charges minions, like what words would you use yeah. minions, puppets maybe minions, puppets yeah. throughout history and so basically they're trying to figure out they're, they're coming after sam in particular and so mm-hmm. we have to figure out okay we have to save sam solve the mystery figure out our town's historical secrets and uh otherwise we're all gonna die and that's basically the the whole framework for the trilogy. In the course of them investigating the witch's curse, they interview a survivor of a 1978 massacre at a campground. So that's the middle movie takes place. It's kind of a throwback to you know Friday the Thirteenth or something where there's um, uh, a slasher at a camp, and then Camp Nightwing, Camp Nightwing, mm, and yeah. then uh, eventually uh, there's revelations, and we actually see what actually happened in 1666 and the story of the witch, and that takes place in the third film, which is uh, very much a tribute to movies such as the witch um <laughs> and uh other movies that you know also remind me of the wind a little bit um just this kind of you know i thought of that too um yeah. I, I, goat core i don't know what you would call that, <laughs> that <sub-genre. laughs> but um so that's that's basically it that's that's basically what we're doing here there's uh, lots of characters lots of supporting characters who are important um but but that's that's the broad strokes i thought the characters in this trilogy were were very strong actually I thought our two leads that we kind of follow through this thing were pretty strong. Everyone else, I don't know. Everybody's got a little bit of quirk, a little bit of character, but I didn't feel like there was like anyone else was really all that fleshed out in this. Well, I enjoyed the leads of each movie, I would say. Especially by the time you get to 1666, though. There was a lot of... It felt very bogged down. There were a lot of supporting characters where I was trying to keep track of just all these different characters who many of whom seemed introduced and played up in a way as though they were going to be significant and then wound up being quite incidental to the plot. But I liked the the leads, at least, of each of the movies and felt they were pretty strong and felt attached to them. So I loved Ziggy's sister. She was my absolute favorite character. thought she was super powerful. She went through a pretty strong evolution in the movie. It was the 70s movie. And she was my favorite out of everybody. But she was kind of a side, kind of a side character there. Ah, uh, she was kind of. Kind of. She, uh, I mean, she was important. She, re- yeah. she reminded me a lot of uh, of Gretchen from Mean Girls. 
she was very, you know, kind of one note and high strung. Uh, oh, I fuck you. I don't think so at all. <laughs> yeah, I agree. She de- she develops a lot over the course of that movie. I, I liked the, yeah. I really liked the characters in that movie too, Christine. I liked how they developed over the course of the film and especially how the, the three main female characters who are all like pretty standard archetypes and all seem to clash at first end up coming together and really supporting each other by the end yeah. of the movie. I like I that agree. a lot. Yeah, definitely. It's a very female-driven series in general. Well, in a very queer series, I mean, we might as well get that out there. Like, not only is this does this have like a pretty diverse cast, but it's a, at the center of it is a queer romance a in all three films, and and yeah. a couple of them, yeah, and um, and portrayed very positively and casually. That's something I really yeah. appreciate, especially because these movies are. I don't know. It's hard to say who they're made for because they're very R-rated, but they also are based on like preteen novels. Yeah. But I feel like for for like I, I feel like they are made primarily for kids who are allowed to watch R-rated movies and to have uh, you know queer romance and, and and themes in these is pretty bold. Yeah, um, I, I thought a lot about that and just kind of who's who's this movie for? And it's you know there, there's 14 year olds who are watching slasher movies all the time. They're watching yeah. R-rated movies. They're seeing sex and violence. So why not make a movie that is kind of pitched right to that demographic, but is still a hard R movie? Why not? And it's probably better, you know, for them to be exposed to some of the social messages in this movie than it is, you know, for for all the movies of the 80s. <laughs> right, because, I mean, I, I've gone back and forth on this. Like, if I had kids who were, like, if I had a, a son or a daughter who was, you know, 12, 13, 14, would I let them watch this movie? These movies, I'm sorry. Absolutely. Um, if I felt that they were mature enough to handle it, I would rather point them in the direction of some of the movies that these are inspired by, but those movies also are not very queer friendly. No. Um, no or not. friendly at all. No, no, <laughs> um, not at all. So <laughs> I, I, I think what I finally landed on is like, okay, watch this, and if you like it, I'll show you some other stuff, and we'll have some conversations about it, and about you know the way certain pe- certain characters are treated, or whatever. Your kids would say, can we watch this movie by Lee Janiac? And you would say, no. Tonight we're watching Maniac. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'll, we'll save Maniac for maybe 16, 17, 18. Depends. So I, I I still don't really think these movies are made for kids. I think they're made for our generation. Like the people who remember Fear Street and, and have that brand recognition. I think they're more an, a nostalgia type of project or product than, than anything. I mean, obvi- not that... 14-year-olds or whatever couldn't watch them. Not that, you know, Netflix didn't consider that as an audience segment, but I, in my mind, that's not, like, the key uh, demographic for this. Um, you're probably right. You're probably right that it's intended for us, especially using the Fear Street titles as kind of the the, the hook, which it's, it's <laughs> really just a hook. Again, it's not, like, an adaptation of these books. If you read the books, I don't know what you would find in these movies but but when you, I, I think it might be pitched towards us but i think the demographic that will like these movies the most mm-hmm. is the 14 year old who's been watching like it and been like well that was boring <laughs> you know <laughs> i think these are i think these are more successful films yeah if they're if they're viewed through that lens like i don't think they work very well as movies pitched toward 
adults who have any knowledge of horror um, in, in the movies that these films are inspired by or in some cases like directly aping mm-hmm. um, and I, that that interests me like I don't know where I where I land on that definitively um, but it definitely makes these movies more intriguing to discuss in that they blur a lot of lines I mean they're R-rated but they're about teenagers and they are concerned with you know teenagers <laughs> daily sort of behaviors and, and trials and tribulations in a way that I don't connect to as an adult, but there's some fun, you know, gore and violence and stuff in there too. That's not quite appropriate for that demographic. Yeah. I mean, they're a weird anomaly cause it's like hard. I mean, obviously hard to tell who they're actually pitched at, you know, even just like our discussion here is kind of reflecting that I think. Um, but also at the same time, for me, they were very successful. I had, for the most part, a very enjoyable time with these, and it seems like lots of other people are too, because it's been, uh, you know, again, very, very successful, very popular on Netflix so far. So it's it's this weird thing where it's like, theoretically, it's this weird creation where there's not a sensible audience for it, like clear clear cut audience for it, but also it's obviously connected and really hit with a lot of people. So. That same thing is happening in, in YA genre fiction mm. um, oh. in the writer's world. So you have juvenile, which is um, older elementary and preteen. And then you have YA, which is young adult, which is teenage years. And now they have something called new adult, which straddles that line between older teenager but still young adult, like under 25, 24 years old. Hmm. There's a lot of YA writers that are coming out now that are writing things with like sex scenes and lots of, you know, cussing and and questionable situations that maybe when we were teenagers, our parents might have been like, "Mm, is that appropriate for you or not? Even though it's on the teen shelf, like Hmm. Sarah J. Mass, for example, she writes pretty explicit sex scenes, but she's considered YA. And at least within the YA genre, um, statistics show that most of the people that are reading YA are adults. Mm. So YA authors yeah, I've heard have kind that too. Of, yeah, so YA authors have started tailoring things a little more towards you know that brain development of an adult, but they're still using teen, older teen characters. So I think this movie like lines up perfectly with the debate right now that's going on between is this young adult or is this new adult. I was so excited to have you on the show, Christine, uh, as always, but like, especially for these movies, because I knew you'd drop some context on us. And I I love that. That kind of blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a huge debate um, going on. Um, There's no official new adult category. Like, for example, when you go in your library, your your local library, you will see a YA section and you will see a fiction section. And there is no new adult section. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes, you know, we catalog things and they go into YA and then we have an angry parent that says this isn't YA there was oral sex in this (laughs) and uh, Um, and you can just throw that title in the chat for me please yeah Yeah, so um, and then we have things that end up in fiction and then you know a 40 year old man will pick it up and be like this the main characters in here were teenagers (laughs) 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 this is not my cup of tea (laughs) so I think that yeah, I think that that's interesting to see that's, you know, because books are my thing. Movies aren't necessarily my thing, although I enjoy them. But it's mm-hmm. interesting to see with this movie series how that has kind of shown up. Um, 
super interesting. So at a certain point, if, the, if you've got new adult books that are being written essentially for adult readers with adult situations in them, what actually does distinguish them from just your standard fiction? Is it the age of the characters? It can be the age of the characters, and it can be the content, and it can also be where the characters are at in their life. So generally, new adult are teenagers who maybe are about to graduate high school or who have graduated high school and are moving on to college. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the themes in new adult are, um, you know, I'm not an established adult, but I'm not a kid either. I'm not, you know, in 10th grade anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm have big life changes that are happening. I have to start making adult decisions, but I still feel like a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that weird transition phase. Maybe that's why the genre is resonating so much with millennials. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right yeah. yeah well i my question as well and i think it is slightly relevant to these movies is what about the reading level you know like the language itself and what kind of you know vocabulary you're using like is that a consideration in in new adult yeah i wondered that too you know what i think a lot of people believe that when you're writing that when authors write juvenile and ya fiction that they are scaling down vocabulary they might a little bit for juvenile, uh, but definitely not for YA. Uh, YA authors write exactly how you might read a fiction book. Okay. It's just that those themes, those life themes for the characters are different because those characters are in different parts, different seasons of their life, yeah. right? like different chapters. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of people will say, oh, that's YA. Oh, that's dumbed down. That's not true. <laughs> So, you know, I wouldn't I mean, assume I, that, but also I've never read anything like in that that yeah. category. So I'm, I'm yeah. kind of ignorant. Yeah. And I think it's I think I think writing in general has really kind of grown up for for all age levels. Um, and maybe before years ago, they were writing down to different ages, but um, that's not how it is anymore. I read a couple interviews with the writer director Lee Janiak, and she said that she in terms of tone and content she said that she remembered the fear street books as always seeming like they were a little dangerous like Mm. when you're a kid and she kind of wanted this movie to have the same vibe where it's like a kid would think they're not supposed to be watching this or a teenager (laughs) might think they're not supposed to be watching this um and i I think she's successful on that front Yeah, yeah yeah absolutely um, and then, you know, I don't know if we've really talked about it yet, but the the vibe of these movies is, for the most part, quite light and fun and energetic in a way that I really appreciated. They're breezy. Yeah. Like, I had a... I watched the first two movies in one night. I mean, I had many problems with them, but for the most part, I really enjoyed myself. I mean, they just kind of fly right by, even as convoluted as the plots get at certain points. But, I mean, the first movie is basically... It, it is firmly rooted in the 90s in every aspect possible. It's it's quite the a fun music. neon <laughs> nostalgia trip. The second yeah. movie is like pure, you know, sleepaway camp, Friday the 13th, the burning energy. You know, it's that, that kind of late 70s, early 80s summer camp slasher vibe. Um, and the, the, those are fun worlds to inhabit, like as isolated spaces, I think. Yeah. And, and that kind of, I, I was laughing a lot during 
most of these movies. And then, you know, then we'll, we'll talk about it in more detail later. In in 1666, I thought the air really kind of came out of the tires and it, it really kind of committed to the dour, the witch vibe in a way that yeah. was not fun. And that kind of disappointed me. Because if you watch the trailer for 1666, they always, uh-huh. they always show you the trailer at the ends of the movies for the next one. Yeah. It looks hilarious because you're seeing all these tropes from these movies like you know the the black horse rearing up and someone being yeah. like oh there's a witch here we're all cursed and like you know pigs acting crazy and stuff it seems like it should have been funny or tongue-in-cheek when we get to it and it wasn't so i thought there was kind of a tonal disconnection in that third part but given the subject matter of the third part i think maybe they didn't want to be too irreverent about it i don't know uh-huh I, yeah, I, I might be tipping my hand, but I felt exactly the same, Chris. And, and I wound up actually really enjoying the third part for something that we definitely can't share until the spoiler room. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... I, I Again, yeah, I think that talking about this gets almost into spoiler territory. But to me, there was sort of an emotional arc to the tone where you start light. And to me, 78 got dark. I oh, did, yeah. 78 is not fun by yeah. about the halfway point and that sure. was sort yeah. of jarring to me and then 66 as you guys have said starts quite dour and then it kind of comes full circle in the end to be rather light so it, it felt although it was sort of jarring to me the way the tone sort of changed about halfway through the progression of these three movies it did kind of come back around and feel like there was a, a very intentional kind of shift that was planned there but it's a it's a kind of a directorial tour de force, and I I think this director only has like one or two other credits before this. She made a small movie that has I think two primary cast members that was pretty well reviewed. I haven't seen it, and then she got picked up for this, which is sprawling. You know, mm-hmm. three different time periods, a massive cast, massive kind of tonal shifts involved in everything. And I, I'm just amazed that she rose to the challenge mm-hmm. after having so little filmmaking experience. Mm-hmm. She's definitely a force to watch. Yeah, and and now I would imagine she'll be able to, to write her own ticket anywhere. Hopefully she does something besides superhero movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know, guys. Uh, should, we, should we just kind of get into reviews and then go into the spoiler room where we can talk a bit more freely? Yeah. Yes. Let's do it. All right. Um, so I think we decided that we're going to give each of the movies an individual rating, as well as the experience of the trilogy as a whole, kind of a weird rating system for kind of a weird uh, release format. But that's what we're going to attempt to do. So uh, who would like to go first? Patrick? Can Patrick go first? <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Um, okay. I had a lot of fun with this. There were some flaws obviously not a perfect series we'll get into it more but i thought it was a blast i would give it a view it i think it's audacious as a trilogy and a very enjoyable experience that also winds up being surprisingly emotionally politically thematically resonant um, by the time we get to the end of it all individually 94 is a view it for me total blast 78 Hewitt kind of brought the uh, the energy down in a weird way and ends in a very dark place that just was not pleasant for me to watch. And 66 brought it back up to a view it for me. 
total blast. Uh, we're going to talk about some stuff in the spoiler room. There's some just some narrative shit, I guess, that happens that just put a giant <laughs> smile on my face and brought this home in an extremely mm. satisfying fashion. So, yeah, view it for the trilogy and then view 94, Q78, view 66. Christine. Oh, man, I'm on the spot. I fucking loved the series. I loved it so much. I didn't care (laughs) that there were maybe some issues in it that weren't wrapped up appropriately uh, or went the way maybe I thought they should have. But I fucking loved it. I loved everything about the music. I loved pretty much all of the characters. The first one, so it was a 94, I would say cue it for 78, which I thought was the anchor to the entire series. And it was my absolute favorite, like double view it. Like, I love that one. Please view it. I think it was so emotionally powerful and there was so much shit going on and everything was super fast paced and it has my favorite character in it. So that's definitely a view it. 66, 1666 is going to be probably a cue it. I mean, you have to see it. You You have to see it. And the whole series, I would definitely say view it. I, I loved it. Like I said, I loved the pace of it. Everything was so fast. And the characters were funny. And it was had some scary moments. I just think it was great. I loved everything about it. Which may be controversial, but we'll see. <laughs> Not to me. <laughs> um, I, I, will, I will go next. And I will give the whole trilogy a view it. Uh, I, I thought the whole trilogy is an experience uh, is a view it. I had a great time. Um, you know, it's it's a little bit of a mess in places, but given the scope and ambition of what they're doing, um, it's just it's just a ton of fun. It's just a fun series. I really liked the style. I really liked. Um, it seemed like a celebration of the horror genre in all the right ways. Uh, I had a great time with it. That said, I think 1994 is by far the strongest of the three and i think it's maybe the only one that kind of stands up as a standalone movie so that's a view it the other ones are are i guess maybe cuets but what are you going to do you have to watch them all you can't just watch 94 you can't just watch 1978 you gotta watch them all so (laughs) so view them all i guess um but yeah that's we'll, we'll talk about it more in the spoiler room uh steven yeah you know i'm really on the fence patrick is aware of my a darker leanings on this trilogy. <laughs> I'm not. But, I can't wait to hear them. Well, I don't know if you're going to, because I, I'm happy to say the cynical side of me is not going to win out today. Um, I would give the, I would give this trilogy a view it as far as individual films. I would go, Christine, you nailed it. Cue it, double view it. And then cue it. <laughs> if we're going chronologically, um, I loved 78 for some i mean I just, i'm a sucker for summer camp movies Me because too. i never got to go as a kid and like <laughs> i don't know it's it's hornier it's you know yes. it's more violent it's colorful it's bright it's out in the open i i i lo- absolutely love that yeah i mean i have some issues with this series kind of just not knowing what it is sometimes and phoning it in in a lot of ways that i didn't anticipate like 
Okay, yeah, I enjoyed every needle drop, but some of them are so basic and just so incidental that I was kind of like laughing to myself as I heard them, and that, and that is a huge <laughs> trope in this series. Um, I like the I like the part where she like gets on the bus and there's a needle drop, and then she goes into her seat and puts on her headphones, and there's a second needle drop. <laughs> Inception needle drop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, at, at the end of the day, these movies are you know, and I'm sorry if this sounds derisive. I respect respect all y'all's opinions but this is just like the perfect dumb saturday afternoon fair that i'm looking for like i you don't really ever have to think about anything watching these movies they're kind of like a you know a warm cozy sweater as you're freezing in the air conditioning reminding you of all of the better horror movies that you want to watch afterward and revisit, et cetera, et cetera. But as far as like potentially being good gateway horror, I mean, I already have an example in my life of that being the case. And I love that these are out there. Um, and that, that this is an excuse for kids to kind of sneak away, watch an R rated movie. Parents are going to find out. And if your parents are cool, they're going to show you some even better shit later once you're ready for it. So yeah, the series gets a view it from me. So here's a question for you. We know there's going to be more of this coming. How much more of it do you want and how soon? None. <laughs> all none, of it now. None and never. All, Christine all says of all now. of it now. Because <laughs> I'm like, I, I want to go back to this universe, but I don't want to overdo it. Like, I, I will do this maybe once every two or three summers. I was going to say, like, if next summer... There's a Fear Street trilogy. I'll watch it. I mean, I'm not going to pay 100% attention to it. I'm probably <laughs> going to be kind of high, but I'll watch it for sure. I would agree with Steven, actually. I don't want any more. Like, this was fine. This was good. This was a perfect, insane, beautiful little trilogy. And uh, I, it's hard for me to imagine how they could expand on it in a way that I would be happy with, unless they came up with another sick-ass trilogy that might interest me or if they had like billy barker the movie (laughs) well this i mean part of the charm of this trilogy is that it takes such massive balls out swings that i just don't see how you can replicate that unless we go into like deep space or something like i just don't know okay yeah i would watch the space one i would watch the space one (laughs) the witch originated on the moon or something i'd watch that (laughs) I definitely don't need like that scary little kid. I don't need to know his story. Like I would definitely want something. I would want a new storyline, but um, yeah, if they said they were coming out with something next month, I'd be like, yep, I'm on it. Cue it. Get ready to watch it. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting question too, Chris, because I think this kind of media increasingly seems pretty disposable to viewers yeah i mean when you get three movies in three weeks you don't realize like i mean listening to the interview on on postmortem with mick garris with the director i mean this was a pretty hellish shoot this was a huge undertaking they were working with a very a small budget and happened to have great department heads who really came through to make things happen to flesh out this world that might not have occurred with lesser talent um And yet, when these things come out this way, they just feel like, okay, well, let's have another one. And it doesn't happen that way, right? Like, this takes a a lot of passion, a lot of money, a lot of effort to produce something that is even, as I consider, flawed as this trilogy. Um, So if they're going to do it again, I'd rather they take their time with it. 
it's definitely like a like a paperback version of a movie, you know, yeah. like a serial paperback kind of thing. And I'm okay with that. I'm fine with that. All right. Well, we're going to head on over to the spoiler room, uh, un- hidden underneath the shopping mall. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, if you want to go check out the movies for yourself, now's the time to do that. Uh, and, you know, feel free to check out our website while you're at it, everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com. Follow us online at AmonCast. And don't forget, this weekend, this weekend... We will be at the Motor City Nightmares Horror Convention in Novi, Michigan. We're going to be there. We got a table. We got stickers. Uh, we're going to be hanging out. I don't know what else you want me to say. We're going to be We got there. a banner. We got a banner. Come by. Say hi. Take a selfie. I, I don't know what podcasts do with these things, but we're going to find out. Get a kiss from Steven. When we, yeah, when we originally pitched this, I was going to have a little kissing booth at the table. I think COVID Aww. has put a damper on that. I think maybe next year we'll see where we're at. Um, but you I'll, said you know, last can, episode that you're still going to do it. Are you? Are you reneging on your? I don't uh, think I can here? do. It. I, I don't think I'm comfortable at this point. But we can exchange phone numbers and, and set up a date for you know late late July 2022. How about that? There you go. If you want to date Steven, come on the Motor City Nightmares and Nova. Michigan Friday through Sunday it's going to be a great time (laughs) but with that said we're heading down to spoiler room so stick around we'll be back in a few minutes to spoil everything when you were before couldn't look you in the eye you're just like an angel Makes me cry. Just waking up in the morning, gotta thank God. I don't know, but today seems kinda odd. Welcome back. We are down here in the spoiler room. Getting ready to spoil everything about Fear Street Trilogy. Eat your heart out, Panther Panjali. <laughs> God damn you. <laughs> better trilogy. Better trilogy. Check it out. Not horror. Great coming of age story. <laughs> Steven had one bad day and Chris will never let him forget it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, This is what turns people into Joker. So where do we, where do we begin here? I mean, I guess I guess we can talk about 1994 to begin with, and 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 just kind of some of the plot details of that one. I mean, basically this all gets kicked off because they find the corpse of our witch Sarah Fear F I E R. I don't know why they didn't want to have her just be F E A R. Well, and also the the, ti- the titular yeah. street is F I E R as well. There yeah. is no F. E-A-R, Street, in this series. It's, it's funny that this this trilogy, which is so, you know, kind of stylistically audacious, would, would be like, nah, calling her fear, F-E-A-R, it's a bridge too far. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I loved it. I love F-I-E-R. Yeah. I did too. It's fine. Um, anyway, they, uh, they end up finding her bones just on complete accident, basically, after a car accident. And that's when uh, Sam, the uh, former lover of our main character, uh, Dina, uh you know touches the bones and communes with 
the horrors of generations past and basically becomes a target for all of these minions who are basically out to kill her for reasons that you can kind of put together by the time we get to 1666. But for the first two movies, basically how it goes is you interface with Sarah Fear, you see the devil when you are 14, and <laughs> you are marked for death, and these killers chase your death, chase chase your blood, and they want to they wanna kill you. And the cast of killers is hilarious. God oh, bless them. I love the killers. <laughs> I love them. Oh, I love them I love that they're all, like, I love them, but they're also all, like, equally generic. In a way what? that's hilarious to oh, me. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I mean, Chris, we're on the same page. You get it. There's a child killer. There's like a little kid in a mask who carries oh, around like a lead pipe. One. He is the scariest one and the funniest oh, one. Like the first and time the one we know I the saw least the shot about. of him just like beating someone's brains in, I laughed my ass yeah. off and I rewatched it three <laughs> times because <laughs> it's like Maniac. a two second shot and I was like, I need to see what this what this killer looks like. Also, did I just see a child beating people to death with a fucking pipe? Just to piggyback off that, um, so normally I like. Supernatural. It's got, obviously got some supernatural in it. This is a witch, but um, I'm not really into slasher films. And when I I first started watch when I started watching the first one, I was like, "What the fuck did I agree to?" Because this is so gory and slasher that I'm like, I'm gonna hate every single second of this. And uh, I loved every second of this. But yeah, that kid beating that other person was fucking brutal. Christine, I'm with you because I I should definitely get this out of the way. I'm sure I've mentioned this on the show before, but I don't like slashers as a rule. Um, I find them incredibly depressing. However, a few of them have creeped into my top films of all time simply because they're campy and they're they're yeah. kind of aware of how just grotesque and nihilistic the, the genre is. And this movie seems to kind of have it both... This series, I'm sorry, seems to kind of have it both ways. Um, there are kills that are very upsetting. There are kills that are also kind of hilarious, just in how gleefully absurd and violent they are. Yeah. And it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sweet spot for me. Also loved Ruby Lane and yeah. loved the like recurring bit with the one dopey character in 1994 <laughs> having a big crush on her even though she was trying to kill them all oh my god talk about big crushes guys there were some thirst traps in this series si- si- simon i'm all on board for i love and he's like 25 so i feel okay saying this even though he's playing a teenager <laughs> but i love seeing like a quirky class clown sort of character who also is like you know supposed to be cute but he's like not terribly physically fit he's like a little bit average like i don't know that i've ever seen that before in a movie frankly and also the the young version of the cop in 1978 is like Mm -hmm. the hottest creature i've ever seen in my life i think i I, I was drooling well everybody every character in this movie was gorgeous everyone's beautiful yeah there's not an ugly person in the entire three movie span um i think that for you know if they wanted to commit to the 1994 bit they should have cast like 27 year olds as all the high schoolers like they did in the (laughs) 90s I guess they thought that wouldn't resonate today. Um, it was weird how much these movies felt like Stranger Things. I mean, there are two Stranger Things actors in them, uh, which, you know, obviously... Strange, stranger Things than what? What? Nothing. Oh, <laughs> that was so bad. <laughs> yeah. I Thank never, you for saying it, Christine. I've never, I've right, never seen Stranger Things. <laughs> Sit actually. the fuck down, Chris. All right, all right continue, continue. <laughs> 
Patrick, I, you know, you've mentioned this multiple times in our like group chats. Um, why is that weird? Like, that's exactly what I would expect from a series like this. That they would borrow, you know, I'm surprised Finn Wolfhard isn't in all three of these movies oh, yeah. playing the same character yeah. from Stranger Things. Well, like, it I just mean, seems like a foregone conclusion at this point. Well, yeah. And I mean, I guess it's, you know, brand extension, honestly. It just, like, this felt like it took place practically in the Stranger Things universe, you know, like, even, you know, accepting 1666, like, the two main dates basically split the difference. Like, you, yeah, you know, they're, yeah. they're right on either side of where stranger things takes place you know they center around a mall as stranger things parts of stranger things have i guess the the reason it felt weird to me was almost that this wasn't called like fear street part one 1994 from the book of stranger things or something <laughs> like that you know? <laughs> yeah i get that i mean i i'm somebody who actively hates stranger things and i'm really just tired of that being a thing i don't know for for the for the cast members that these franchises share i thought they did much better work here i like kind of forgot that i'd seen them in that other series i felt like they were given a little more room to, to sort of grow and uh, show their strengths oh my what maya hawk is in this for like two minutes i mean she gets so much more character development in stranger things did you watch the season she was in no oh, which no. one was that i watched the first <laughs> season and like half of the second i think she's in the third one yeah 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 fuck that i don't need that speaking of cast um <laughs> the uh one girl in 1978 who is like kind of the alt girl who does drugs and cuts herself she is the girl from anguish and every horror movie on no Netflix. way yeah i i was like i know this face how do i know this face and i looked her up and she's the girl from anguish just a few years older my head just exploded that's crazy yeah. that's yeah. crazy where's her skateboard right where's that's my question <laughs> she could have just skated right out of those tunnels <laughs> holy shit wow oh, my god there was another anguish parallel actually that i i don't know why i brought it up because i can't remember I wow. back. <laughs> um, but that's amazing chris I, I just you. i just gotta pile a little bit more love on our, our cast of, of killers and slashers uh though okay because um I, I think i just had so much glee with these things and like the less you know about them like the little boy the more hilarious they are and yeah. i don't know <laughs> what it is it's, it's almost like you know there's a lot of movies like like my bloody valentine that are classics kind of because they have a great premise and a great killer but yeah. to honor them you have to suffer the entire movie which <laughs> isn't as strong as the killer and the premise and for so, like, sure here all we get are like these killers where it's like yeah i can see that thing being like you know it's like like the nun in the conjuring <laughs> or something it's like <laughs> i can see this thing being in a whole movie but i'm glad i don't have to watch it <laughs> Chris, as, almost, a, as, a, as a massive fan of My Bloody Valentine, I 100% agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather that character just be on the periphery of a different movie. Yeah. Well, it's almost like the kind of effect you get with the original Star Wars or something where, you know, you're enjoying the characters in the main plot, but there's also like a zillion, you know, it's like the fucking cantina where you yeah. see like a different bizarre alien in every corner where you're like, what the fuck is that dude's deal? <laughs> or the and bounty now, hunters. And now, you know, right? like 40 years later, they've given us way more of those people's stories than we ever wanted and we realized we didn't want it in the first place but um it, you know it has that it, that sort of like just abundance of creative energy where it's like oh you just gave me this fucking baby with the lead pipe and he's only here for five seconds <laughs> well, what right you know? well i mean rest assured there will be another trilogy Probably. soon that yeah. will flesh out these characters i mean yeah. it, it does feel like the the bounty hunters in star wars which you know 
Bosk and Forlom should have their own movie at this point. I don't know why it hasn't happened. I'm going to have to get on Indiegogo or whatever kids are doing I, these days. I, I talked to Patrick about this daily about my my Bosk movie I want to make. Um, I don't know. Maybe someday. <laughs> also, this is fucked. Look how, look how much he's leaning. IG-88 is on hard times. <laughs> Michael Jackson. Michael yeah. Jackson, 88. <laughs> Vi- visual joke for the podcast i love it i played a michael jackson arcade video game last night and it was deranged and that's all i'll say for now <laughs> so since we're in the spoiler room let's let's talk about some spoilers yeah i was I'm, gonna say what we got we said we were gonna spoil everything so let's yeah. spoil i'm curious to hear so i mean i guess in my mind the first sort of big spoiler is the reveal at the end of 78 that you know c berman we've got ziggy berman and we've got what's the other c berman cindy cindy Cindy, yeah and it turns out that c berman who's the survivor of the uh campground massacre is not cindy but ziggy who whose actual name is christine yeah the the kids in 94 reach out to this woman who's the sole survivor of the 1978 massacre for Mm -hmm. advice and we find out that her sister she, this woman, the survivor's name is C. Berman, and we find out that her sister died at this massacre. And so then we go in and we meet Cindy Berman and Ziggy Berman, and I, I think they want us to think that uh, Ziggy is going to die and Cindy is the character that we've met in present day. Yeah. I they seem very proud of that twist and i saw it coming from scene one yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, I i as for one thing because the girl looks a lot more like the uh, the adult woman Jillian I think, jacobs i feel like she's the one we see first <laughs> and like i don't know the way they did it though i was not fooled for one bit yeah but, same. You know, maybe some 14 yeah. year olds were i don't know <laughs> Although then at the end of the movie, they both seem to die. That was a brutal scene. And that's what I'm talking about that, where I just, and, and, and I'd like to dig in a little more, especially with Steven and, and Christine here about, you know, your enjoyment of that one, because I, I just had a hard time with it by the end. Not, not in the sense that I thought it was bad and it certainly does its job in the, the greater workings of the trilogy, mm-hmm. but I just found it very unpleasant and and depressing to watch by the time mm-hmm. you watch both sisters get brutal, brutally stabbed to death like within oh, arms yeah, reach 100%. of each other it I felt the same way. and that's what was great about yeah. it and it's, <laughs> I, what was great about it is that like it did kind of lean into the fact that that's a trope in the movies that it's inspired by and yeah it's upsetting to watch and it didn't make me feel good but i i kind of appreciate it in the sense of like okay well they've done their homework like this is how these things end even before that there's a lot of kind of mean-spirited violence against the kids who are the campers and against some of the counselors that i thought was kind of just uh cruel are there a lot of other horror movies that take place at camps where the actual child campers enter the line of the slasher i feel like there's not there are yeah i can send you some Okay, because um. <laughs> that was kind of that was kind of new to me. Yeah, there was a yeah. lot of like child death in that movie. Not not teen, not yeah. even preteen, but like child death in that. Yeah, movie. look, there's a, there's a scene there's a scene in Sleepaway Camp where like this guy, like one of the one of the camp counselors, takes a bunch of like young boys out to go like camping in the woods, like without a tent even, which is weird. I didn't even realize that until now. They're just like in sleeping bags, and like twenty minutes later, we cut 
to like all the sleeping bags are like gutted <laughs> so yeah that's definitely a trope okay hmm. not 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 one i like all that much honestly i tend to skip over that scene i mean it's not it's not fun to watch little kids die <laughs> unless they're assholes Especially like, in a, like, yeah uh but um i liked that a lot of times during the series i was like well that person can't possibly die and then they died <laughs> yeah i you know, like like in this in the in the 70s one that kid who um got tricked i don't know what they think like a barn type thing a workshop or something like that and the hot girls like tricked him and then uh he turned around and the slasher got him and i was like oh, yeah. oh man that kid just got picked on by those hot girls and now he's dead that sucks oh yeah yeah I, i'm with you patrick i thought that it was it was kind of more mean-spirited than 1994 in a way that i thought was kind of off-putting although you know i mean now that steven and christine kind of pointed out you know how it it maps to those slasher movies. I'm kind of thinking about it a little more now in the broader context of the series. And, you know, you start off 94 with this, you know, again, it is violent. There is death. There's not necessarily child death, I don't think, from what I can remember. And it feels like poppier and bright and kind of fun. And I think I think it plays into the general, you know, kind of unfolding of the mystery that you see the brutality that the real villain behind all this is visiting on people. And now I'm, now I'm thinking about it and I actually, I think I'm changing my tune on it a little bit. I think I like that (laughs) it gives you some, some more gruesome and truly like upsetting stuff that Mm -hmm. starts to point towards the even like darker origins of this whole plot that we learn about in 1666. Mm-hmm. Well, let me let me say this. I mean, this is something I w- that was in the back of my mind through this entire trilogy, or at least the first two films. In the first film, I appreciated that it exists in a world, again, if these movies are theoretically made for teenagers, it exists in a world where there like are no adults except the police officer and, like, who else? Um, like, we hear about people's terrible parents or whatever, they don't show up. In the second movie, I expect Sam's them to mom. be mad. Sam's mom, who okay, sucks. yeah. Yeah, she's there to scowl a couple times. Yeah. Yeah, so in the second movie, we're in we're in an environment where like the adults are teenagers and yeah. I just yeah. naturally expect it to be nastier for that. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why I like you know, even though I don't generally like slashers, I like summer camp slashers because like the authorities are like 17 years old, you know, like they, yeah. They, yeah. they're in no position to protect these children. Like things are just naturally going to be more dangerous and nasty. Mm-hmm. And I like that it leaned into that. Yeah. I watched 78 with Allison with a Y and at some point they were like, where are the adults at this camp? Yeah. <laughs> there are none. Is the no, answer. there are none. <laughs> yeah. I think for thematic reasons, it's good to have a little bit of some upsetting mass death um, in this trilogy. But, you know, I thought the death uh, in the first movie in 1994 was kind of sad, too, because... I was watching this movie and I was like, these are all very fleshed out characters. I don't think any, I think it feels like they're all going to survive this movie. And then my two favorites, the drug dealers died very unceremoniously. (laughs) (laughs) I forget. How did they die? Well, Kate was got the her bread head slicer? fed through the fucking bread slicer. Yeah, after <laughs> after her face went into a cake, yeah, though, right? Yeah. Her face was in a cake, and then didn't she get stabbed or something? And then she went through the slicer. Mm-hmm. 
I was like, yeah. she can't possibly go through the slicer. Like, it's going to get this close, right? It's going to cut no. her hair off, and then it's going to stop. No, it went through. No. It fucking didn't stop. <laughs> it didn't stop. And then, and then the, the her friend, who uh, Stephen likes, who I also like, uh, he dies immediately after that, too. He gets axed in the head, and, and that yeah. was kind of sad. I will never forget the bread slicer kill. I have thought about it so many times since then. Lee Winnell wishes he had thought of that. Yeah. Oh, well, Patrick, I was, again, I hate to keep harping back on this, but like I was texting you about my complaints about the series and how the kills weren't imaginative, and you immediately fired back with the bread slicer, and I was like, yeah, actually, I've never seen that in the movie before. Like, that's pretty damn original. (laughs) And also, it really stands out. Taking me to that point with these characters who I thought were very well developed and very fun to hang out with, and who I honestly thought were about to survive the movie and then you kill them like that it, you know it's 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 not they these weren't disposable characters these were my favorite characters in the whole movie <laughs> oh yeah. yeah like everybody's everybody is lovable in these movies yeah. and that can be a little problematic at times because in a horror movie generally or a slasher movie i generally prefer when people that i don't like die so it was kind of painful for me, especially in 1994. Like, there were some deaths that were incredibly upsetting because I was fully invested in characters. You know, mm-hmm. even as thinly sketched as they may have been, I kind of fell in love with the performances. And to see them get offed was uh, uh, pretty troubling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think then you end up kind of taking that to the next level with 78 because, you know, as we've talked about, there's the, there's a strong trio of female characters who end up forming, like, a pretty m- moving and meaningful alliance that's sort of unexpected and then one of them is very unceremoniously killed and you feel that shit man you know it's upsetting and i mean even like even tommy who's the guy who gets possessed and turned into a serial killer was not like a great character either either in the sense of being a well-fleshed out character or in the sense of being you know, a great guy, but you yeah. still feel bad for him. You know, like that's mm-hmm. a, that's a character I connected to and um, and liked to some degree. You know, mm-hmm. and then at the end, of course, you know, the two sisters are are basically killed, and the the will be sheriff, which it's kind of weird in the context of 1978 that this yeah. kid's like 15. Everyone's like, oh, <laughs> it's the next sheriff. <laughs> it's like, like literally, a cop says to him, like, oh, you're gonna be my boss one day with total seriousness right, yeah. right, right. oh my god i forgot about that right because yeah. he's the son of the current sheriffs and i guess it's just uh yeah uh, you know it's the patriarchy the man one. this yeah. whole series so, is about taking down the patriarchy um, if you think yeah. about it <laughs> the, the 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 romance between him and ziggy i i really liked i thought it was really well done it was quite cute but he ends up saving ziggy uh resuscitating her at the end and that's kind of was alluded to in 94 because apparently one way to get these killers off your back is to actually die and then they'll yes. stop chasing you. So yep. they, they tried to kill Sam in 94 a couple different ways. Ultimately, uh-huh. we get a shot-for-shot reenactment of the abyss where uh, she has to drown and be resuscitated by her estranged lover, um, which I highly appreciate. Ever yeah. for her to drown her too, yeah. like forever. Yeah. Like the bread slicer should not. She her head should not have gone through the bread slicer. There was plenty of time to drown that other girl. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying. Plenty of time. She was drowning for so long. Uh-huh. Well, well, and like, she was, and she was like deep in a drug overdose at that point yeah. too. Well, well, she rejects. Oh, that the was blood. fucked up. That she, they set up the whole like regimen of like this is what you need to take she, to die, and then we'll <laughs> resuscitate you. Like, yeah, that was amazing. 
I, I enjoyed that, but I liked. I mean, she doesn't overdose. She her body just rejects. She pukes it all up. She so that's puke, why they yeah. have to drown her. Um, and oh, I like right, that yeah. because I thought that was kind of kind of sketchy <laughs> the overdose idea, and then it just didn't work. And I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah, that's good stakes yeah. raising. Good stuff. Good stuff. Anyway, yeah. So and so, yeah. Nineteen seventy eight. They bring him back to life, and so we're left with this, you know, forty year old woman who's just traumatized from watching her sister die, just as they were reconciling. Just as they were reconciling, because the <laughs> the, the subplot yeah. in that is that you know, th- there's a, there's a subplot in all of these movies, which is is very important about kind of the despair inside Shady Side, the town, and how you know everyone wants to get out, or everyone wants to create their own reality or their own dream of getting out, or they want to move to Sunnyvale where everything's great. And and the two sisters in 1978 kind of represent both sides of that where where cindy is kind of like i'm gonna be preppy i have a future i'm gonna move to Mm -hmm. sunnyvale and the sister Mm -hmm. is a realist who's like no one gets out of here except for in a body bag when are you gonna get that through your thick head (laughs) they finally learn to love each other and then it's too late they get killed in a very very heinous way and then at the end of 1978 based on the testimony of the now adult ziggy berman our heroes are able to find the severed hand of the witch sarah fear which is in the mall right it's in the mall which is it, it's hilarious <laughs> no, 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 no no the hand isn't there the body is in the mall no, the body's in the woods. The hand is in the mall. The hand is in the mall. Is the it? hand is in the mall, yeah. In the tree in the courtyard. So <laughs> so funny. It's one of the, <laughs> the best reveals in the whole trilogy because yeah. we know that the hand was buried under this tree at the camp. And they're like, all right, we got to go to the camp and get the tree. Well, the camp doesn't exist anymore. They built a mall on top of it, but the tree happens to be in the food court. Yeah. <laughs> <Still>. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> So, so the the legend goes that everyone believes is that if you reunite body and hand, because this witch cut off her own hand in 1666 as part of placing the curse on the town, if you reunite the body and the hand, you will lift the curse. So our hero Dina goes, places the hand and the body together in the food court of the mall and holy shit she has a trip and she is living the experience of Sarah Fear in 1666 and that's how we go into that movie it's a it's a big we, cliffhanger we we quantum leap into 1666 we quantum leap now it's set up the cliffhanger set up and you probably all assumed that it was going to be our character Dina kind of trying to survive in 1666 but it's actually we learned very early on because like the first scene she's called on to like assist in the the birth of like seven pigs and she does it flawlessly we learned that no this is no longer dina this is just dina the character the actress is playing sarah fear yeah living her living living her her experience experience. yeah Yeah. flashing back seeing it through her eyes Um, and like i lost my mind as much as chris did when he found out like the chronology of this series when i found out that 1666 was cast with all the actors from the previous two films. I thought we were going to be dealing with a whole new cast. And I was like, holy shit. Well, so let me blow your mind even further. Um, One of the stated influences on this trilogy is the, the films of Terrence Malick. (laughs) I think that's maybe what Lee meant when she said that, like the kind of like, this is like a love story that spans generations. And we have the same actors playing the same characters. 
I loved it. I, I mean, thought that I, was a great well, touch. I liked it more than most Terrence Malick movies. So. The same. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of the, the X-Files episode Triangle where, where yes. Mulder gets lost in the Bermuda Triangle and finds himself in the in the 20s on an ocean liner and he sees all the people he knows in his life but they are playing archetypes. The same archetype but in history. You know, like Cigarette Smoking Man is a Nazi and, and so on and so forth. Oh, that I episode is that. such a banger yeah um, did chris so, carter write that or no vince yeah, gilligan did. wrote that I, oh he I, did i think chris carter wrote that one in a rare home a, a run rare for, hit. A, a rare late <laughs> home run for chris carter <laughs> christine are you as lost as i am in this discussion <laughs> you seem like it <laughs> yeah i mean you guys know that i'm like i'm not a movie buff uh let alone a horror movie buff but um I didn't do any research about this. I just sat down and started watching it. And when I put the third one on, I was like, wait a second. That's the same girl. <laughs> and at first, I didn't like it. At first, I was like, this seems not campy like I liked the other two. It seemed just cheap and not good. Mm-hmm. And But then as we went on and on and on, I was like, yeah, I think this is fine. I think this fits okay. I could honestly... So the 1666 stuff... I think could have been handled in half the amount of time. Like, that's half that movie. Yes. And it doesn't yeah. really do anything Did- to move things forward. It's just sort of like, hey, this is where it began, and then we cut back to 1994. I could have done with a brief flashback. I mean, you get the idea pretty yeah. quickly. Like, oh, these two girls have a forbidden love, and they're going to be cast as witches and, you know, burned alive or whatever. And it just feels, I don't know, it doesn't have the bite of the other two films. It feels like a prolonged um, prologue. What I loved about the first two movies was that everything was happening so fast and every scene had a purpose and it forwarded the story. And we went through the story very quickly. Things were always happening and it was great. It kept my attention. As soon as I started putting the last, I put the last one on and I was like, what's so slow? What's going on here? We're starting with a pig birth? Like, (laughs) why? Why did we spend all this time on this? It felt like a stunt to me. And I mean, I'm not saying that I don't think it was like, well executed like for what it's trying to do but it it didn't feel necessary yeah. it was just like oh we have to pay off on this sick title that we came up with for the third movie <laughs> exactly. well exactly. I, I thought 1978 kind of had the same problem when we, t- when we talk about these as standalone films it's like yeah. there's kind of the, the conflict's been set up in 1994, so there's really not a lot for the movie to do in the first, like, 40 minutes of yeah. 1978 or in 1666, because they're kind of all playing off of what came before it. Um, and so that kind of, for me, 1978 and 1666, like, the first 40 minutes or so was just kind of a slog. Um, but you eventually get to some really good stuff. Like Steven said, basically, we the revelation here is that, guess what? Sarah Fear is not a witch. Uh, uh, she was just, you know, as so many women were, accused of being a witch because she was a little deviant. Uh, she had a forbidden love affair with uh, with with 1666 version of Sam. So history history rhymes. <laughs> and the real villain is actually the sheriff, the the, yeah. the damn good family. <laughs> and good of course, the last name is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good is Which evil. They actually, they actually telegraphed so that in in uh, 1994 when when Marvin or Martin or whatever uh, is is locked up in jail and it's just a throwaway scene and and he's like, I'm sheriff good. He's like sheriff good. 
more like Sheriff motherfucking evil or something. Yeah. <laughs> Which, um, that left me hanging for a long time. Like, I really fixated on that scene, and it was a long time for it to pay off. Right, so... I in, appreciate that. You know, 400 years ago or so, Solomon Good, uh, who was otherwise seemed like a pretty chill bro... <laughs> decided and, and 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 for for reasons that are are frankly sympathetic he he in fact he all i almost thought he was going to actually seduce seraphir into witchcraft because his case was pretty compelling about how the society's backwards all these puritans are, are crap you know this town sucks so why don't we just you know do something for ourselves and 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 break the norms and 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 embrace witchcraft. So he embraces witchcraft. He makes a deal with the devil, where basically his whole family line is going to have prosperity. Um, the thing that they never explain, which is very important, is how the town of Union split into Shadyside and Sunnyvale, which they talk about all the time. You're right. Yeah. I didn't even it, think about it's that. It's like they just forgot to shoot that scene or something. I don't know. <laughs> See, here I thought, Chris, this whole time, I thought you were going to have some like sick takes on the use of the word union in this, and it turns out it's much more nuanced. Oh, I have sick takes, but we'll get to those. So I loved 1666, and I thought it was very efficient, actually, because... I had assumed that the entire movie or most of it was going to be devoted to the 66 timeline, but halfway through, you wrap shit up, you know, you find out what happened with Seraphir and the real story behind all of this, and then we go back to 1994 Part 2, which was a total, another left field, like, crazy move to me that put a gigantic grin on my face. I thought the 66 stuff was very efficient and very effective at kind of upending the entire narrative that we've heard so far about who Seraphir was and how she's been influencing this whole thing all along. Yeah, at some point. She it worked, a, it worked she, very well for me, I guess. She's a victim, and she kind of has her own curse where she's like, look, someday the truth is going to come out about this, Mr. Good. You, you have, have fucked with the wrong forces. But she gets hanged to death, and... That's the thing. And now armed with this truth in 94, our heroes are like, oh, and somehow they deduce, which I'm not sure I would have made the same deduction. They they deduce that contemporary Sheriff Good must be an evil devil worshiper and he we have to kill him. <laughs> because <Yeah>. 400 <laughs> years ago, someone with his name <laughs> made a deal with the devil. Well, but they, they also figure out that this has been being passed down over over the generations. Like his... They figure out that his family has continued this. It's not like it leaps from Solomon Good to whatever his name is, Nick Good. In right, the right, right. But it's 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 not a case that would hold up in court. Uh, but it's it's good enough for our narrative purposes. And by the end of this, by the end of sixteen sixty six, all our heroes would just be in prison or on death row, and they would deserve it. But that's okay. <laughs> it's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what confused me like so we get this sort of reversal of how we think the curse works where it's not actually sarah like sending killers after blood how how is sam possessed what was the real reason for sam being possessed in the end let me ask you a better question do you really care? I do. That's why I asked the fucking question. <laughs> it's so like it Asshole. seems so. Ins- it, no, no, I'm not. I'm not trying to be a dick, but I'm like it seems so incidental to get into the details of this. Like I don't feel like these movies are all that concerned with the mechanics. But it's very I, concerned with the mechanics. I mean, it kind of like inverts the whole way that you think this is working. 
at the end in it's in the messy. sense that in the sense that the goods messy. are selling out shady ciders to continue yeah. their prosperity and the prosperity of their community rather than yeah. Seraphir trying to continue to exact vengeance for what was done to her. Right. And so once that gets flipped, I was confused about why Sam was, uh, you know, sort of possessed or, or acting as, a, as one of the killers for a while. Um, why she's possessed. I don't know. Maybe just the sheriff put her name in the, in the wall in the book. I don't know. Chose her for something. It seems like there's, it seems like if you get close to the truth, the dark forces will try to yeah. stop you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it, so it, it's, basically it's no messy, one, no one has it, any more of an answer than I, I do. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's messy. It's vague. And at a certain point during this trilogy, I just felt like, yeah, we're supposed to kind of look away from that a little bit. Yeah. Good enough. It's, yeah. Not, it's not that big of a deal. Good enough. And like, they, they decide they're going to just murder Sheriff Good. Um, in a giant dayglow set piece at the mall. At the mall. Oh, big with the, set did, piece. did anybody else freak out that there was a Gadzooks in that mall and that that was a set piece? Oh, it was it Gadzooks? It's Gadzooks. Oh my god! I, didn't, like, I forgot that was <laughs> I a thing until Gadzooks. I saw this movie, and that's where the nostalgia bug finally got me. In like the last twenty minutes, it worked. I freaked out that there was a there was a B Dalton, which Chris also referenced earlier <laughs> in the episode. There's so much black light and paint in this in the last half hour of this movie. It was I thought it reminded me of the scene in, in Batman Forever when Robin goes <laughs> and hangs out in the alley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, or just but, like yeah. any scene from Batman Forever, really. Yeah. yeah, there was some some leather bar energy going on there. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, what do you need to know? What's a spoiler? They they kill him. They kill the sheriff. Uh, there's you know lots of mayhem with the monsters. They have lots of plans. They set traps, etc. But at the end of the day, uh, they put a knife through Sheriff Good's eye, and they end the curse. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they kill a cop, cop killer. Mm-hmm. And then they miss and Q Ice T right now, um, or is it Ice Cube? Who sings Cop Killer? Ice T, and I'm surprised that wasn't a needle drop. <laughs> like as soon as she puts the knife in him, it's like I'm a motherfucking cop killer. <laughs> Jordan Peele would have done it for sure. Like, if this were his movie, absolutely. Um, I, I gotta say, the end of the end of the last movie is where it really the whole thing won me over. That Pixie's gigantic needle drop. While while our heroines kiss, and Dina says in in 1994 to Sam, when this is all over, we're gonna listen to the Pixies and make out and eat cheeseburgers. Yeah, oh. yeah, which I thought do. was a hilarious line in the first movie, and turns out it paid off pretty and well. Then it I cried. got you were crying. I <laughs> got I'm I'm not fucking around. I got chills when I heard yeah. that song come on. It's one of my favorite songs ever, and I thought it was a beautiful scene. And I thought, you know what? This is something I never see, which is a queer love story about two queer people who are going through trials and tribulations. And it ends well for them. Like, that was so refreshing. So refreshing to me. Because it usually usually doesn't. You know, one of them is a token. One of them, you know, it's... Yeah. 
it's that's a really good point that you make. I like that too. Well, in in interracial queer story, and that's what that song is about too. Which I I, I don't know. It just it was just like the nexus of everything I needed at at the end of at the end of that series. Um, I thought it was beautiful. And then in typical Fear Street fashion, it cuts one pixie song and starts a second one. Yep, <laughs> one that is totally inappropriate. <laughs> that means nothing in the context of the series. Yeah, that did kind of bum me out. And then we do get like a mid-credits scene or maybe like right at the end of the credits where, you know, the the black book or whatever the fuck you want to call it is is behind the sheriff's line. There's police tape and somebody grabs it. We don't know who. So sequels. But I was I was there. I was I was you know pumping my fist and everything, and and you know Dina care, you know gives a rousing speech, almost as good as the speech uh, to the to the tribe in Avatar, where she's talking oh about how this has been Get going the fuck on. Out. This has been going on for you know three hundred years, and it ends tonight. Like this is it. Like this murder has been going on. All this all this horror has been going on and hurting our people, and this is it no more we're gonna fight and and we're gonna no one's ever come this close and if we all have to die tonight we're all gonna die tonight but no one else is gonna die god damn it love that it was kind of an it follows ending in a way sure and 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 that kind of kind of brings me to to my uh thematic slash political interpretation of the trilogy (laughs) would you like to hear it Oh yeah, because I, mean, I was about to get into <laughs> yes. the same topic myself. So oh okay, yeah. um, I, I think there's some stuff in here that is 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 clearly intended, and then there's some stuff that I may be projecting onto it that might just be you know what happens when you make a movie about some of these topics uh, in in America. But uh, I thought that this was very much a movie uh, that deals with uh, violence, and it reminded me a lot of mass shootings. Actually, um, you know the way that. These these killing sprees occur, and it's just oh that guy seemed like a normal guy, or oh I you know what happened? Why is why did this guy just snap and kill everybody? And it's always happening at you know happens at the mall, happens at the church, happens at the supermarket, you know happens at all these public places. I don't know if the, if the intent was to evoke mass shootings, but I think it's hard to deal with the subject matter without being evocative of that. But. Huh. Um, then dealing into going into like well what are these just bad eggs or what's happening here and you know i think the it's about a tradition of violence in america and it's it's economic there's so much stuff about about the economic fortunes of shady side everybody's working a double double shift everybody's playing the lotto everybody's drinking and there's just this level of despair where young people feel like they have no future and there's so much of that in America today if not you know over the over the decades and that's where this sort of violence that we see bubbles up from and people i think don't want to look at the root causes of violence or mass shootings or anything like that but i think that this movie does and says you know what underneath every spree killer there is despair there is economic violence and if you want to stop it you have to reckon not only with the 
uh, violence in every transaction in our capitalist society, but you have to actually go into history and you have to make amends with the violent traditions of the American experiment and the legacies of slavery and you know witch trials and all this stuff and, and violence against the LGBTQ community and all these things because it's all part of the same concoction that we are reckoning with today. And I think, you know, putting a black woman hanging at the like climax of the story uh kind of makes that explicit. That's how I read it. Yeah, I also was going to comment on, you know, I, we, we we talked about the uh the queer themes and a, and a queer couple coming out victorious across generations, across centuries, you know, we've yeah. got a queer couple who are persecuted at the origin of all this and then a queer couple kind of brings it all to the close and comes out victorious in the end. I really enjoyed that. And I was going to touch on before before Chris brought up this theme, also the theme of the the, the relationship between Shady Side and Sunnyvale, and the way one has literally one of the communities has literally been selling the other community out over generations mm-hmm. to ensure its own success, and that was really powerful to me that it tapped into uh, that that uh, class theme in mm-hmm. the end and really lent a lot of weight to the end of the movie and now chris this doesn't happen every episode but i'm totally on board for the <laughs> the themes you found in this one because i think absolutely yeah the way it ties back to the violence and that uh yeah that we're that each generation has been selling out uh members of the other community to you know to shed the blood that they need shed um yeah really really hits home and makes it even more resonant now in hindsight for me and every time it happens they they just say oh another fucking shady cider another right. person went crazy and yeah. it, it, that's not what it is it's it's the, oh it was drugs yeah, oh it was drugs it was, it was, it was, it was the witch uh, there's a line yep. that in 1994 um i think it, it might even be in the opening credits it's very subtle but i hear something like you know they ha- you know they have no desire to improve themselves or something like that which is like you know that's something we hear yeah and then of yep. course who's who's the ultimate puppeteer of all this it's it's the state it's state power manifested as a as a police officer that's been upholding all this stuff and not only doesn't care to dissect the reasons behind these crimes but is actually responsible for maintaining the institutions that oppress people yeah and i, I think mean, it's- sure all that stuff is there i it, to me it didn't really feel very deep though it felt very superficial like oh we're trying to tackle big themes and it didn't i don't know I didn't think too hard about it. Like I saw the framework for it, but I feel like these movies were more interested in like stylistically mimicking other genre movies than actually saying anything about society. I don't know. Comes I think up- it. I think it said volumes, honestly, and and a surprising amount for a series that is as fun and kind of escapist as as we've described so far. Like it kind of manages to do both, surprisingly. Me. I mean, there's so many recurring themes and recurring threads about the poverty and all this stuff that I think that's there for sure. Whether or not it's meant to be a grand political statement or whether it's just like, oh, we want to just tell the story about a cursed town and here's some effects of the town being cursed is another thing. But. Well, and I think it's no mistake either that by the end, the you know kind of crew that 
organizes the final takedown of the sheriff is three characters of color, including the janitor, who seems like kind of a throwaway character, but ends up being a pretty pivotal character in this final showdown. Um, but yeah, three characters of color, including eventually the the, the two the, the lesbian couple that we've talked about repeatedly. Um, it's a it's a very you know female heavy character of color heavy group that takes uh, takes down the sheriff in the end. In fact, I don't think there's a there's a straight white male in the bunch at that point. Yeah, and and I did see uh, Lee uh, Janiac said that she wanted to deliberately you know include people who were not represented in all the movies that are being uh, tributed in this series. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a banger. It's it's surprisingly. It's surprisingly poppy and surprisingly subversive. I mean, again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying early on, where it's this weird dichotomy where it manages to do a lot of different things surprisingly well as a trilogy. I need to uh, I need to watch it again because while I was pretty obvious that you know we needed some strong female um, characters in a lot of these, especially horror movies, especially horror movies. Um, I feel like at least what I've seen in my life, all of the women are dumb (laughs) and they're there to look pretty. So it was really cool to see kind of a more feminist view on a horror movie, um, a slasher um, at that. But I guess I really didn't read too much into all of what Chris said, Um, although I planned on watching the series again. So I think I might be watching it with uh, a slightly different eye, taking all that into consideration and kind of looking for something deeper maybe okay also can we talk briefly about the moment where they come out in sunnyvale after the whole incident where they kill the sheriff and a garbage truck just plows into some sunnyvaler's car as he pulls out of his driveway that was like halloween two levels of hilarious (laughs) unexpected violence to me it gave me a jolt i'll tell you that it came out of fucking nowhere (laughs) and i'm not sure why it happened it confused me so much i had to turn to reddit to help me understand really um, hold on let me back up even further Uh, hold on this this like uh, this could be me being completely crazy and distracted probably but i want to work through this so that our two heroines emerge from this horrible confrontation into a house Mm -hmm. that they're unfamiliar with and it's a, a member of the good family because there's like a family tree but yeah. is there not also like a flat screen TV in this house? Like they're in the f- present day? I don't think Did there's you... a flat screen TV. I, I'd have to watch it again. I wasn't looking for that, but I don't... it was like it was a confusing scene that I still don't understand. But a plasma. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? Maybe they did just have. Maybe they just made a deal with the devil to get that new tech before everybody else. You know, I don't know. Wait a minute. They talked about new tech at they the did. end. There's a time traveler at the end because that there's a girl yeah. who shows up and starts talking about internet yes. stuff in a way that seemed very. Uh, she was the girl the that forum. the guy was talking to in the chat room. Yeah. Right. Because she's talking about solid state drive. She's leaving her yeah. handle yeah. with an at on it. I'm like, this is. She's from the future because they weren't doing yeah. that in '94. That's some paper girls shit. Yeah, that yeah. was weird. Hmm. So Real weird. I don't know what to make of it. Maybe she'll show up in the next trilogy to take the heroes to 2666. Wow. Uh, God, I hope so. In See, I didn't I didn't even think of that. I thought of her writing the handle with an at as just kind of like almost an oversight on the production's part. And I assumed a solid state drive was something that like maybe 
technologically it, was at least known of at that time but yeah maybe probably. she is a time traveler it, it probably was time traveler she's probably it was probably just no you're probably right patrick but i want to believe i want to believe she was a time i gotta traveler. i gotta look at this flat screen tv i want to believe too <laughs> chris what did you learn about the the garbage truck hitting the car though um i i think the consensus i saw online which i guess i agree with is that it's just a symbol to show that the the that shade that sunny vale's luck has run out that, oh, <laughs> that they're, okay. that they're okay. touchable now <laughs> that's kind of what i assumed but it was also so fucking yeah. jarring that i had to really take some time to unpack yeah what a what a hilarious way to communicate that because i thought it was the mayor getting killed or something yeah. because the mayor seems mm. like a hanging thread like it seems like yeah. he's as why did they decide it was the sheriff and not his brother who needed to get killed and why did they just leave the mayor untouched i guess mm. for a sequel hmm. yeah. yeah so again a little messy a little sloppy but when you're having so much fun does it really matter no absolutely no. not nope no well, Are we done? That's Fear Street. <laughs> <laughs> all right well um then what the hell are we watching next time steven we are <laughs> we are gonna I watch like that what? <laughs> what? i am cackling at i us. am absolutely thrilled because i've wanted to see this movie since i was a young boy we are gonna watch pet cemetery 2 boys oh um okay yeah pet cemetery 2 is on netflix it is <laughs> It's on Netflix. I almost just bought the Blu-ray because I've wanted to see it so badly, and here it is for free. So here we go. Is the original on Netflix? No. Oh, of course not. No, never. (laughs) I need. I I want to see that. I I don't think I've ever seen the original one, so I think I'll probably track that down and watch it as well as number two. Yeah, number two indeed, from what I've heard. Um, (laughs) Should be a fun time. All right. Well, we'll look forward to reviewing Pet Cemetery 2 in two, fittingly, weeks. And uh, until then, you know, check us out online. And like (laughs) I said, if you're in the area, come by Motor City Nightmares, uh, come to our table, and I don't know, we'll give you a sticker and say thanks for coming over, and and that'll be that. (laughs) And a rain check for a date with Steven. (laughs) Yeah, we'll, we'll (laughs) we'll autograph something for you, I guess, or something. I don't know. I don't know what to do at a convention. And I feel like celebrities don't know. That's always so weird to me. Like, what do you do when you're a celebrity and you're at, you're at a convention and then someone pays $50 to come talk to you? Like, seems like a weird interaction. You do. You, you laugh all the way to the you bank. You do whatever they want you to do <laughs> up until a certain point of your own discomfort. I guess so. I mean, if I, I, I what we should do is be like Robert Patrick uh, at the convention we saw him at, where he's just like hiding behind a curtain, and <laughs> you don't even go behind the curtain if you don't pay money. I mean, we don't have to use that that frame to hang our banner off of. We could yeah. just put a big curtain up in front of our booth. Hang a big curtain because I'm shy. Yeah. Okay. You're too shy. All right, well, come on, check us out at Marseille Nightmares in Novi, Michigan. Uh, this weekend, which we should say, just in case you're listening to this late, is July 30th through August 1st. So if you're listening to this on August 2nd, I got bad news. You missed out. You'll have to catch us next year. So, all right, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. Until then, for every horror movie on Netflix, I'm Chris. I'm Patrick. I'm Steven. And I'm Christine. See you next time. See ya. See ya.